So Money Episode 817, Dr. Diana Burley, cybersecurity expert and professor at George Washington University. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Have I experienced headwinds? Yes, absolutely. Have I experienced unsupportive environments and unsupportive people in very challenging environments? Yes, absolutely. But I also, every step of the way, had people who were supportive and encouraging and enabling. We're talking to one of the world's most accomplished and active individuals in the world of cybersecurity, Dr. Diana Burley, named one of eight women to watch in IT security. Dr. Burley is a full professor of human and organizational learning at George Washington University. She's an in-demand speaker. And prior to joining GW, Dr. Burley managed a multi-million dollar computer science education and research portfolio. And she also led the CyberCorps program for the U.S. National Science Foundation. She has a terrific personal story of succeeding as a woman of color in a male-dominated field and how her family and professors helped to encourage and guide her. She and I also discuss all of the steps we can take to actively protect ourselves from the ongoing cyber threats. Well-known companies have had large breaches, and we are also targets as we shop furiously online this month. Hackers will be working nonstop to interfere. Dr. Burley has great advice on how we can stay safe. Here we go. Here's Dr. Diana Burley. Dr. Diana Burley, welcome to So Money. It's such an honor to have you on the show as we round out 2018. It's a privilege to have on such an accomplished woman as yourself on So Money. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm pleased to be with you. So I just finished, listeners just heard your introduction, the bot, your bio, in short, um, such a resume. Um, you're a recognized cybersecurity expert. You're a full professor at George Washington University. Before that, you ran a multi-million dollar um, computer science education and research portfolio. You led the CyberCorps program. You've testified before Congress. When you were a little girl, what were your dreams? I mean, I wanted to be a waitress. I never thought that what I could, what I was doing now even existed. At what point did you really open up your eyes and your mind to the possibilities of getting so far in your career? Well, I'll be honest with you. I certainly did not dream about becoming a cybersecurity person. I didn't even know what that was. Uh, I think that um, my real goal was to, to be a lawyer. (laughs) <laughs> I, yeah. I wanted to argue. <laughs> Do you find yourself kind of in that situation still as, as, a, as in your role as a, you know, professor and um, a corporate leader at one point testifying yeah. before Congress? And that, that's still yeah, playing out. It's, it's all about making reasoned arguments and having evidence to back up your points. And so I guess in a way, my dream has come true. It's just uh, labeled a bit differently than I had anticipated. Mm. Well, tell us a little bit about the current state of cybersecurity. You are a premier expert and you've, you lead a lot of conferences. You have a lot of discussions with others about this issue. A lot of times I feel like the everyday person is 
um, this is not information that's necessarily privy to us. Um, we just hear, we just kind of get all the warning signs when it's too late, when our, we've been, you know, our accounts have been hacked or, you know, things like that. And so, um, what, what can you say to listeners about what, what should we know about cybersecurity today, good and bad? I think that one of the things that listeners should be aware of is the role that they play in securing their own personal data. Uh, you, you know, this is unlike other fields where you really leave it to the care of the professionals, right? There is a lot of work that, that we as consumers, as individuals can do to protect ourselves. Things like updating our software, you know, when, when you get an update on your phone or you get an update on an app and you just, you're slow to do that, you really shouldn't be because often that's what is preventing bad actors from being able to get into our systems is because somewhere the technologists have found a vulnerability and they fixed it and they're relying on you to now update your device. And so as consumers and individuals, we can play a very critical role in our own security. So we update, we make sure that we use passwords that are what we call strong. So not, not the name of your dog. Not, you know, but not, how would a cyber secure, how would a, how would a hacker know who, our dog's name? I mean, I always wonder about that. Like really, do they, do they think about these things? Do they, do they look at your Facebook profiles? They really do. They, they really do. And there is something called social engineering and that is all about getting into your head, understanding how to get you to reveal your personal data without actually having to use any technology at all. And so they really can actually very easily and very quickly find out pieces of information about you, your your dog's name, your kid's name, the school that you went to, those kinds of pieces of information that that we don't really consider to be private. You know, it's not a big deal to tell somebody what your dog's name is. But in fact, if you then use that as a password, it's pretty easy to figure that out. What led you to specifically this area cybersecurity? No, you wanted to be a lawyer. Did you actually pursue law and then pivot? Or at what point did you see yourself? I was derailed from, I was derailed from ever moving into that law direction pretty early on. So I, I, I went to school for, um, you know, really the fields, we call it socio-technical systems. So it's that interface between technology and people. And so when I went to graduate school, I was very interested in understanding more about that interface, understanding how the technology changes the way that we behave and the way that we interact with each other and understanding how we influence the design and use of the technology. And so very early on, I realized that I had a tremendous interest in understanding those aspects of technology. And so I just followed that passion and it led me to where I am today. You're singular in your role as a woman, as a woman of color in this industry. And I know you get this question often um, because I think it is a very obvious differentiation. You know, I think that, let's be honest, there aren't a lot of women in a lot of areas that pertain to math and science and engineering and so forth. Why do you think that is? Um, do you feel like you ever had any headwinds as you 
you know, trailblazed essentially into this role? Um, or was it always very supportive in your, in your circumstance? Do you think that there's a misnomer out there that the, those industries don't want women or they're not women friendly? Or do you think it's that women, um, don't like these? You know, what is it? What is going on? You know, I, I, I think it's a combination. And, and so have I experienced headwinds? Yes. Absolutely. Have I experienced unsupportive environments and unsupportive people in very challenging environments? Yes, absolutely. But I also, every step of the way, had people who were supportive and encouraging and enabling. And so I think that sometimes we get caught up in the very large sense of, well, maybe the masses look at me differently or are making it hard for me. And we forget that there are individuals along the way, whether they look like us or not, who are willing to help guide us and shepherd us along. And so I've been very fortunate that I was always able to, in the midst of stormy environments, find people or those people perhaps found me uh, who were willing to to help continue pushing me forward. Uh, and and I was very passionate about the work. And one thing that I say to to people and to young women and young men um, of color and, and not is that when you are passionate about the work and you work hard toward achieving, you will always be able to keep moving forward. It may not be in that particular organization, it may not be on the specific path that you're on, but you will be able to provide opportunities for yourself and options for yourself that allow you to maneuver through the environment and continue your forward movement. You were on the Elevate podcast recently and you talked about how for you, um, you had a, a great um, professor and mm. at, when you were at Carnegie Mellon and, you know, I think mentors and sponsorship is so important for everybody, particularly women. Um, yes. What was it that she instilled in you? She encouraged the, the, the work ethic. I don't want to say she instilled it in me, but she encouraged it in me. And mm -hmm. and I always think about her because it wasn't that she was easy. She was very tough. Um, but I did not see her her being tough on me as um, as doing anything other than preparing me to face the tough environment that I would enter into. And so I think that sometimes we mistake toughness for, oh, well, this person doesn't like me um, or doesn't want me to succeed. When in reality, if you were going into a tough environment, you want to be trained in a tough environment. You want people to build you up and make sure that you are strong enough to withstand whatever comes at you, because sometimes challenges come at you. And sometimes you are unsuccessful in meeting those challenges, but it's not necessarily because you are not of quality or your work is not of quality. And so having her at the same time be both supportive and tough mm -hmm. allowed me to develop that strength that said in any environment, I won't question my ability. And that's, I think, the, the key is that you have to be built up strong enough that you don't question yourself 
even in the face of very significant challenges, because that's how you are able to to withstand those challenges and to continue to move forward and to recover from the failures that you will inevitably have, because we all have those. Um, And it's not the failures that define us, it's how we react and respond to those. That's so true. That fear can really keep us from going out beyond where we're so comfortable. Yes, absolutely. And and we often seek mentors who are soft on us because we we mistake that for caring and preparation. And so I think that we have to recognize that growth is not necessarily comfortable. And when you are able to recognize that you have to stretch and and to have someone who pushes you, but who is also there to support and help you move yourself forward, you position yourself so that you're able to 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 not just survive, but to thrive in those in, in those or during those uncomfortable periods, because those are really the periods of growth. And and in a field like cybersecurity where we are constantly in an evolving environment, an uncertain environment, the threat environment, you know, we cannot necessarily predict what type of threat is going to occur or when it's going to occur or how it's going to occur. Knowing that you can manage in the face of uncertainty is a is a critical success factor for for being able to continue moving forward in the field. I'd love to transition to money. You know, you have such clarity and have accomplished so much in your professional life. And I wonder if your financial life mirrors that in some way. It could totally not. (laughs) Some people have said like, nope, my money situation is a complete other story. I want to know what's your money story. And and do you feel like you've been able to carry over some of this fortuitiveness into your financial life? I do. I do. I I, I won't say that it is as clear as my professional life, certainly. Um, But I do think that I've been able to carry some of that over and in part because of the way that I was raised. My father was the was the chief financial officer for H.J. Hines growing up. And so he understood money and taught me about money. And uh, so I was very fortunate that I had uh, someone at home who was able to put lessons, you know, instill lessons in me and allow me to to have some clarity and some sense about the things that I wanted to do and to be able to do financially uh, that has allowed me to to move myself um, into a fairly good position in that way. On a scale of one to 10, would you give yourself 10 being great with money, one being, I think, well, you know, you're not a one, but would you say? <laughs> <laughs> I put myself in the top quartile. Nice. <laughs> I like that. Seven or an eight. <laughs> Spoken with confidence. Um, we're approaching the holidays and our show is sponsored by Chase Slate. And they're asking, they want me to ask you, and I'm curious, uh, what are some of your gift giving traditions? Um, you know, do you have any um, plans around spending this time of year? I don't have specific gift plans for sure, but but what I try to do each year is to set a budget early in the year as to how much I think I I want to spend for the holidays and to put that money aside. Um, 
and I stick pretty close to that. I, I, I do go over, um, you know, probably a, a couple hundred dollars or so, you know, not, not tremendously over, but I try to, towards the beginning, at least, you know, before we get to the second half of the year, just have in my mind, okay, this is what I think I, I want to spend. This is, this is what I think I can do this year and just kind of put that money off to the side so that I don't uh, go too much into debt. And, uh, and, and I try to, and I, I think that my family knows that at this point. So, (laughs) you know, I tell people, Hey, don't, don't buy me anything expensive because it will not be reciprocated. (laughs) (laughs) This is not tit for tat. Okay. That's right. That's right. So don't be mad when you get homemade cookies. (laughs) Right, right, right. I think treats are sometimes the best the best thing. Cause you know, I, I love getting food and wine around the holidays. I mean, it's not good for my waistline, but I think <laughs> it goes a long way because things you get bored with, but like an experience of opening up a bottle of wine or sharing cookies with a friend, I think that is a memory that you create ultimately and, and can go a long way. It's priceless. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have found as certainly as I have gotten older, that the experiences are the things that really matter and mm. it's not the cost of the gift. And, and so I really try to, to hold on to that. Yes. Well, what has been your so money moment? You know, a, a time where you just felt you really hit the nail on the financially speaking. I would say probably when I bought my first home alone. Uh, so, you know, probably too much information for the listeners, but n- not unlike many of us, I am divorced. And I had certainly purchased homes with my husband. Um, but being able to purchase a home, especially living in the Washington, D.C. region, uh, being able to purchase, to, to get a mortgage and purchase a home on my own um, was a, a very significant accomplishment for me. And, and it made me feel very good that I was managing my money properly, that I was able to take care of not just current needs, but, you know, building a profile and also being able to show my children that um, that you can you can accomplish goals if you set your mind to them and you live accordingly. And and it means that you may not be able to buy every single new item that uh, that you see on the street, but but foregoing that immediate pleasure that is often very short lived can reap great benefits uh, in in the longer term. And so being able to do that, I think, was really what what would be my so money moment. Mm. I mean, we're learning now that divorce has actually declined recently, but not for good reasons. Couples can't afford to break up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you kind of become codependent financially, or one person is very dependent on the other person, and divorce is expensive. It is. So you just live in misery, I guess. Unfortunately, yes. yes, I think that that uh, you know that's certainly the case for a lot of people, um, and so it's it's something that you have to think about, and and certainly something that you have to think about when you're young, and beginning to just consider what the next ten years or so of your life might look like. Um, it's a uh, you know, we often only think about one aspect, right? We only think about love or we only think about what we want to do together. And, and um, you certainly don't want to go into anything with the end in mind, but you just want to keep in mind what your goals are professionally, personally, financially, always keep those goals at the forefront of your mind and use them to make decisions because you don't think 
oh, that that seven dollar coffee from Starbucks is really makes a difference. But it really does when you start to think about what your longer term financial goals are and what you could do if you didn't buy those drinks or if you bought those but cooked at home or, you know, whatever the trade offs are that that you think are important in your life. It's just important to think about those trade offs. That better be one good $7 coffee. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) $7. What Starbucks are you going to? I guess that's like a venti venti. I don't know. <laughs> you know, that's that's my my daughter's in college, and she came home, and she <laughs> she was concerned because there was no juice juice bars, and the juice bars that she had been going to were thirteen dollars a cup. And oh, yeah. I thought, I don't know what kind of juice you're drinking, but uh, we don't do that here. Yeah, so just just I'll, yeah. I'll open I'll unpeel an orange for you, and yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'll juice and a lemon and I'll orange. squeeze it for you. Yeah, exactly. Let's make some lemonade. Let's remember some old fashioned <laughs> lemonade. Um, Dr. Burley, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been such a pleasure to learn from you. And thank you for sharing all your insights with us. We're going to do our best to protect our own financial information. I was just on the Today Show talking about that is this time of year, we're doing a lot of shopping online. And you know, the hackers, the bad actors are running rampant this time of year. But uh, you know, there are some best practices. And um, we thank you for the advice. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for Dr. Burley for joining us. You can follow her on Twitter at Diana Burley. All this info is back at somoneypodcast.com where you can download the audio, read the transcript, and also leave me a question for our Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh. Just go to somoneypodcast.com and click on Ask Farnoosh. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And I hope your day is so money. Money.